Sunday, February 23rd, and you are listening to Peanuts and Popcorn. P&P is a spontaneous podcast between two old friends on baseball and motion pictures. I'm Tom Hockney. I'm Leo Fontana. The self-righteous tour continues as the Houston Astros aren't getting a whole lot of sympathy. Rob Manfred sticks a hunk of metal in his mouth, and David Ortiz finds a way to ruin his credibility. Still no punishment announced for the Boston Red Sox. Can we please get on with our lives? A Rod Serling revival in Cincinnati has a connection to the Cincinnati Reds, and we'll have a chat about the Chicago Cubs, and our great movie discussion is on another Kubrick classic, Dr. Strangelove. Tom, how are you doing? Hey, I'll tell you, man, I'm tired today. I, you know, sometimes I wake up grumpy, and other times I let her sleep. Um, <laughs> but uh, last night, I... Uh, uh, stayed up to watch the World Heavyweight Championship out between uh, Wilder and Fury. Um, much heralded, allegedly the, the the most significant heavyweight fight since 2002 when Lennox Lewis disposed of Mike Tyson. Um, and it was pretty much a great fight, even though it was one-sided. Fury basically knocked him out. And, but you're talking about a heavyweight champion that weighs 273 pounds as a very unusual thing. But he's pretty much as agile as Muhammad Ali as far as moving around at that weight. So um, I was able to see it on pay-per-view last night. Um, and so I'm a little tired today. No, I understand. I've heard some stuff about this fight, actually. I mean, the, these are two big guys who like to fight each other. They yes. each think they can beat the other. I mean, they're convinced of it mentally, you know, and so well, they really go at it. Well, you know, one last thing, all great uh, boxing um, is is related to it. Ha, you have to have two to tango, and so if you think of the greatest fights ever, like Ali Frazier, they begrudgingly respected and on some level loved each other because they made so much money for each other. Yeah. So it's kind of like the WWF in that regard, or the WWE or whatever that is, in the sense that that behind the scenes they're actually very friendly. Yeah, yeah, that's right. All right. So, so, uh, so what happened this week in Chicago, Leo? Oh God. Well, Rod Rod Blagojevich's sentence was uh, commuted by President Donald Trump. So, so he was Blagojevich was sentenced, I think, to 14 years or 12 years. Yeah. He served eight, and so he had right. another four or five to go, and that was commuted. He came home. It was a big production. Reporters right. were waiting outside of his Ravenswood house, a house I've driven by, as right. you've driven by it, I'm sure, dozens of times. You know, this is an area that you and I know very well. It's very close supporters to where I were live. There. He had supporters there. It was, you know what, I will say this about his supporters, because for, for anybody who lives in Chicago, we, we know Rod Blagojevich is a piece of shit, okay? Right, right. And anybody who's out there cheering for him is somebody who's going to make money if he ever returns to any province. Somebody right. who's going to get a job, somebody who was paid to be there, that's the only people who are going to be promoting or or cheering for him. So don't think like, I just want people outside of Chicago to understand that, you know, that's not most of us. Most of us think he's a piece of shit. Yeah, well, if you look up the word unctuous in the dictionary, there's a picture of Rod Blagojevich. Uh, and, um, you know, <clears throat> you, you talk about the, the sentence. The only thing that I, I personally will say is he committed a crime. There's no question about it. He, they got it on tape tried to sell the sell Barack Obama's Senate seat. But it's it's entirely possible that 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 Trump might have been right in this sense that that sentence was a little bit too long because in a, fe, in a federal case, you there's no early parole. Yeah. You yeah. must serve you like 90 percent or something like that. It's an outrageous amount. Um, and so 
Rod was un, un, unapologetic, and, and at one point this week he was on CNN, and Anderson Cooper just crushed him, absolutely wow. crushed him. He talked about the fact that Blagojevich had <clears throat> thousands of clemency cases on his desk that he never addressed in, while he was governor, but yet it was important for him to get his own clemency. Like yeah, the fact that right. the, the, right. the hypocrisy of Rod Blagojevich knows yeah. no, no bound. I mean, it's just endless. And so, I, well, I, I think that that's good for Anderson Cooper. And I think it's good for oh, CNN. Question. Good. And that's he, good. He, and he's right. He's right. Cooper is correct to have done what he did. I will also just mention that what it also does for CNN is it uh, helps position them more as uh, as objective because here they are going after a Democrat, but uh, he's well, not a Democrat it, that I support. Sir. At one point, like Blagojevich just is unapologetic. He's like, yeah, but what about the what I the hospital I did for the kids? And Cooper just cut him up. No, that happened after you left office. You did nothing for that hospital. That sat on your desk. He goes, that's bullshit. And it's, I was like, that's the first time I ever heard Cooper say that on national TV. He, well, like, he, you and, know what I think? It's good that he did that. It's good that he used the word bullshit because yeah. Trump speaks. This is the way that Trump speaks. And now this is the way Americans want to hear. Correct. This is the language we want to hear. It's no, it's becoming normalized, which is just sick. And I, I my my thought is the next president is going to have have some real fumigation to do. And it oh, starts yeah. at the white. It starts at the White House. I feel sorry for the people that have to fumigate that place. That place uh, is going to be bugged like you wouldn't believe. I wouldn't say a word in that building. So so what did you do? What did you do this week, Leo? Did you have anything exciting on your uh, docket? The big, the big thing was the daddy daughter dance. And this is I don't know how many of these I've done. I have two daughters. <laughs> Yeah. And it started by taking Lily to these dances, and now I'm taking Lily and Nora, and yeah. they both get dressed up, and they get their hair done up, and I take them both. I put on a tie, and the other dads are there. There are two daddy-daughter dances here in Glenview. One is, there's the Catholic one over yeah. at OLPA, Charlie yeah. Perpetual Help, and that's yeah. the Catholic, that's the daddy-daughter dance. And I've done that, and it's very nice. It's in the basement of the church. Nice. The food is awful, uh, but it's a little <laughs> cheaper. Uh, and they do a better job with the pictures. But yeah. then there's the secular one, and the secular one is run by the Park District. It's bigger uh, because my daughters go to public schools. This is the one we opt for because they, they have friends there. And the food is better, but it's always a little disorganized, you know what I mean? But it's still a good time. The, guy, the, the fathers just kind of sit around, you know, with their hands in their pockets, you know, eating little cheeseburger sliders and, you know. <laughs> well. Uh, you know, I think if you were in my parish, which uh, I hear the food is very good, and yeah. Our Lady, Our Lady of Queen Latifah. <laughs> but but so there's a saying. So when you're dancing with your daughters, I said the, yeah. like the old picture, like they're stepping on your feet and you're moving them around, or can they actually? No, no, no. no they, they, we we danced. We did a few dances, but then my daughters like they get embarrassed watching dancing with their dad. They get <laughs> you know, it's you just, sure it's not just you. No, it's not just me. But the other thing they do is they have contests. They have a hula hoop contest, and both my girls did it, and it's yeah. very popular. So nice. they have like uh, they have heats. So you know, 20 girls take the stage, the dance floor, and they hula hoop, and the best one gets to go in a runoff against the winners of the the following three or four heats. And uh, you know, Nora got out there, you know, and she they give them a five like maybe about a minute minute and a half practice. And she's out there practicing and she's just jamming. She's got her hula hoop going. But then when it's time to start, when the music starts, it falls because somebody hits it. And then she 
kind of grabs and picks it up and tries to go again. This time it falls to the ground and right. she's forced to just sit immediately. And she's just like, wow, that's so just, so who's the, who's the better dancer between those two? Um, I would say Nora is Nora's a Nora? much better. Yeah. Nora is much more agile. She's much, she's lighter, but Lily's a great dancer and Lily just, Lily's beautiful. I mean, she's just, you know, and she, Lily has friends. She has her, her wonderful friends who yeah. she's really good at picking good people to hang around with. She doesn't pick toxic people and uh, she has a good time. She's very social. I love it. Well, you know what, you know what they say, dance until your feet hurt, sing until your lungs hurt and act like you're William hurt. Well, yeah, exactly. And also <laughs> the other thing I had to do, by the way, I had to wait in like a, a 15 minute line to get ice cream with my daughter because she was afraid to wait in the line, you know, by herself. Yeah, so yeah. You know, that was tough. No. All right, so enough. We need. There's a lot we got to get to. Yeah. And I want to begin with, uh, you know, as camps are opening up around Major League in Arizona and Florida, you know, the, these these players are meeting with reporters, and reporters are asking them about what they think about the Houston Astros, and, and it's 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 getting ugly, you know. Uh, so so I, propo I I propose that we change the name this year and maybe forevermore to the Houston Asterix. <laughs> That's a great idea, the Houston Asterix, because forever they'll have one next to their name, you know, in Correct. 2017. And 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 but but here's what I have a problem with, though. I understand that people are upset at what the Astros did, yeah. but we, we, there's a point where you kind of have to put it down. Everybody's getting so freaking self-righteous. You know, it's it's beginning to sound. I don't know. I'm getting a little tired of it. You know, Nick Marcakis said the Astros deserve a beating, and that was funny. You know, uh, yeah. Giancarlo Stan mentions that he would have hit 80 home runs if he knew what pitches were coming. And I'm calling bullshit on that, by the way, because any hitter will tell you that 70% of the time they wait on fastballs. So I don't believe that. For I, I Stan, maybe you would have hit 70, but but 80, no way. If you know a fastball's coming and you can get ready for it. I don't know. A guy like but, no, but I'm saying they, they sit on fastballs the majority of the time. The majority yeah. of the time, every, every major league hitter, especially every power hitter, will tell you that. Well, the thing is also, but this relates directly to the fact that people still want their title taken away. They want right. some sort of punishment for the players, and the, the fact is they can't do it. Major league baseball's hands are tied. Okay, yeah. they 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 provided or they gave immunity for the. The, the candid testimony of the players. And that's it. We have right. to live with that. Now, I mean, you know, this got Rob Manfred into a lot of trouble. As well. Asked sure. him, and, and, and I want to defend Manfred here, which is going to be unusual for me. Yes. But, uh, but uh, they asked Manfred if he had considered taking the title away. And he said, I, I, I don't know if it, you know, if I, just demanding back a hunk of metal really solves anything. That was okay. a, a bad choice of words there, uh, Manfred. It was a bad choice of words, and John Lester got all pissed off and indignant about it and self-righteous, yeah. where he's like, oh, there's a guy who's never played the game. And, and, and okay, yes, it was a poor choice of and words. And you know what Manfred said? Manfred said, I can throw the ball to first place. <laughs> okay, that was good. That was good. No, but, uh, but, but, but what Manfred should say is, you know, first of all, apologize for the poor choice of words, but also say that their their championship is tainted. It's yeah. been taken away. Whether I demand a trophy back, which now now that they we know that they've cheated, 
really is meaningless. It really is a hunk of metal, Tom. That's all it is now. Okay. Yeah. It's just a hunk of metal. It has no, that particular trophy that year has no meaning. I'm sorry. And it is a hunk of metal. And, and people will say that for as long as they live. And whether or not I take away the title or whether or not I take back the trophy, okay, the Houston Astros are going to have a hell of a hard time posting 2017 World Series championship banners at that park without people giving that the finger. You know what I mean? It, yeah, it, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to take the opposite side on this. I'm sorry. I have to disagree no, with no. you 100%, 100%. I think Manfred has done some really good things in, in, since he's been commissioner, but I think he should be fired. And the reason why I think he should be fired is because he didn't properly plan for how bad this would be. We're going to talk about his his problem with what with the Boston Red Sox and how this is going on and on. I think Manfred is one of those behind the seed guys that is really not a great commissioner because that hunk of metal, that was a poor choice of words. He should have never ever said that. Immediately players all it wasn't just uh, you know, John Lester, um, Justin Turner called the commissioner out of touch. And I think to a certain degree, he did not properly plan for how big this is going. Is we, we talked about this the last few weeks, and we'll talk about it the next few weeks. This has taken on a life of its own, and it will continue to shadow this major league season. And who knows, maybe for a while. We weren't around when the Black Sox scandal went down, but I'm pretty sure that years after the Black Sox scandal, there was quite a bit of, of, of sports writing about the subject and people's opinions about it and how they were going to basically inoculate baseball from these bad gamblers and make sure that these guys were thrown out of baseball. The same kind of thing is happening here. And I think you're right that people are indignant and it could be a little bit, I mean, if you think about it in baseball, what about all the hitters that use pine tar? I mean, that's, a, but until they said that was okay, that's technically cheating too. So it, you're right. It's, it's disingenuous for people that are looking for any kind of angle they can get in baseball yeah. to kind of make, you know, to make statements about, about the Houston asterisks. But the fact of the matter is, is that they did it. And, 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 we talked about this, and we'll continue to talk about this. Whether they take the title from them or not, it's already been taken from it's them. It's taken. It's, it's it, you know, it's done. So, and that particular trophy is a hunk of metal. Okay. Yes. 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 So, but, but so I, I think Justin Turner and John Lester, probably after they've had a chance to think about it, would probably right. okay that 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 you know Manfred isn't. Everybody demands you demand that he should be fired and. You're not well, wrong. You're not wrong, Tom. You really aren't. But we have to say that the owners have the right to choose their commissioner in this regard. And and the one criticism that I have about Manfred is that there's no poetry about the man. There really there needs to be a commissioner who feels, I don't know, some sort of blood connection to the game. That it's yeah. just more than cold dollars and and collective bargaining agreements and yeah. things that are legal and all that. There has to be a connection to the soul of the game. And Manfred, I think, lacks that. And that's why I would fire him. You, you know who should be commissioner? Curtis Granderson. And, and I know that's that's an out, outrageous thought, but he would grow into the position very well, and I think he would be a great ambassador for baseball. Young, a young man as commissioner. You know, he's yeah. relative for, for that job, he's young. Yeah, oh, yeah, without a doubt. That, he's 20 that, years young. Like, that, that's like take, you know, naming John Paul II Pope. <laughs> you know what I mean? We spoke for a really long time. Right. So I, I, I don't know. I, I would say that uh, that would, I wouldn't 
I wouldn't say no to that. I wouldn't yeah. say no to that. But uh, but it's it's really this has dominated the headlines, and even There's David no Ortiz has came out though. But David Ortiz, I think, really embarrassed himself because the, David Ortiz didn't rip the Astros. Okay, David Ortiz didn't rip the commissioner. Yeah. He ripped Mike Friars, the starting right. pitcher who blew the whistle in the Athletic when he interviewed with the Athletic and talked about it. And I'm sorry, David Ortiz, I love you, Me but too. you are so wrong here. You are so wrong. You're as wrong as you could be about anything. That's terrible. Well, this is just like Mendoza, and I'll say the same thing to Big Poppy. You know, it's okay to think that, but you should never say it out loud. You don't have to say out loud everything that comes into your head. As I used That's to say the problem. To, That's the problem. As I used to say to my girlfriend when I was a teenager. Um, <laughs> I, I think that um, that you're going to see more, you know, like Mendoza. Men, I don't know whether Mendoza paid a price for her comments. I suspect possibly she did because <clears throat> basically she's been she was demoted. Um, well, she had to quit. She she was she, she was uh, how do I put it? She resigned from yeah. her gig at the New York Mets as an advisor. Right. And and you know and I don't know what she was doing over there really. But what that did is it creates a conflict of interest between her and her job with ESPN as a commentator. Now they moved her off the Sunday night broadcast and that had very serious problems in the broadcast booth, whether it was her fault or not. She's been now allowed to do other things. She's doing other things, but she's only working at ESPN. But anyway, but I, I just think, you know, everyone has the right to the opinion and I'll, I'll bet you that there's a lot of people in baseball players that think like Ortiz, which is, you know what snitches get stitches. That's just that's the that's the way society is. Too many people have seen the movie Godfather. That's the problem. Well, when when, when he calls out Friars and says, "Why didn't you Why didn't you report anything when it was going on? Why did you is, wait?" That's, until I... that's a valid point. No, it's that, not. Well, I I think it's a valid point that 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 this took this long to to become public like this. Somebody could have said something. Like you talk about the 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 Yankees. Interestingly, we're, we're just railing against it this week with Garrett Cole in the room. I thought I would have loved to have seen that picture. How do you how do you blow the whistle when you're 15 games in first place, when you have a 15 game lead in the division? OK, and you're on your way. You're regarded as the best team in baseball. You have the best pitching. You have the best offense and you have your best chance to win the World Series. How are you going to be the guy at that moment? who pisses on all of it. I mean, at least when he's with Oakland, he has the justification of saying, I'm trying to protect my teammates who are pitchers with me and let them know that these guys are doing something wrong that is negatively affecting their careers. I, I, I think that, that Ortiz just is talking out of his ass. He really is. And, it, and Boston it, 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 is going to suffer the same crap the Astros did. It, it may be, but it's interesting that last year, and to me, this is a story that hasn't been written, but should be. The world champion Washington Nationals knew exactly what the Asterix were doing. Oh, absolutely. And, 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 planned, and planned accordingly and beat them at their own game. They, they basically had a changing set of signs that their pitchers uh, all utilized in the World Series, and the Astros couldn't figure it out, or obviously couldn't figure it out well enough to beat them. My point is, is that it wasn't just the asterisk responsibility to come clean. It was Major League Baseball. And, and like you said, Major League Baseball is responsible for this crime being committed. They, they, they delivered into the Astros' hands the, the tools correct. they used to do it. That's correct. That's yeah. correct. To, to me, this is a very complex story that 
<clears throat> Ortiz is not wrong to think the way that he thinks. It's just sometimes you just should keep it to yourself. That's, that's my advice. He should keep it to himself because he is wrong. I'm sorry. Okay. You know, but uh, but 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 the thing you mentioned that that I think kind of finishes it all off, and that's the fact that the Washington Nationals beat him, and that's one of the most satisfying I think yes. we can perceive as honest and redeeming World Series we've ever seen. That they were able to beat the Astros knowing full well what they were up to. So and not just that, beat them in every game at the Asterix Park. Yeah. yeah. So my, those guys deserve a lot of respect. Without I love a doubt. Dave Martinez, Howie Kendrick, all those guys. Yeah. It's uh, I'm, I'm glad that that the that the Nationals won. I was very happy about that. You know, when when you look back in this decade, the Cubs World Championship will probably eclipse all thoughts because of how long it took but i think last year's world series is going to be right up there in significance it's a very significant world championship and a it's seven very game significant one. because i think the red sox world series is now going to come into question so 17 yes. and 18 those two years people are going to write them on we had the cubs world series in 2016 which was the last honest one <laughs> right, right. Until the Nationals won in 2019. So both those World Series will come into, they'll be prominent throughout uh, all of history because of that. So, so speaking of the Red Sox, oh, uh, yeah. what's going on with Manfred and, and the and the penalty? What What is there going to be an announcement of this? Every week I hear a rumor, oh, it's going to be this week or it'll be this weekend. They're going to do it this weekend. They'll do it by the end of the month, by February, by the end of February. <laughs> You know, I mean, this is bad. This is really bad. I mean, come on, because if they did cheat in the World Series, we have to let the little league teams know so they can they could, you know, cancel the uniforms, you know, like they did with the Astros. I mean, come on. Yeah, right. So what what I what I read the article, Manfred alluded to some new information that's come to light in the last couple of weeks that's caused this delay, oh. which this does not bode well for the Red Sox at all. I'm telling you right now. Uh, and I, 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 well, that's the, they, he doesn't. That's the problem with Manfred. He we don't know. We, we just know that there's been a development. We just correct. Correct. We're, we wow. can't complete the, the investigation because this new shit has come to light, man. Wow. She kidnapped herself. She kidnapped herself. <laughs> oh, well. All right. Well, more on this. I'll tell you, I, I suspect that uh, the Red Sox World Series is going to come into question big time. Could be. Could be. All right. So now, did you see that Ichiro Suzuki was in the Mariners camp as, an, as a, he's a hitting instructor? But well, he, well, he uh, never left. He's never left. He's been there all for, for a year and a half. He sleeps there. He sleeps there. I love it. I love Ichiro. I love it. I've never seen anybody so dedicated. Me too. And not only is he a great hitting instructor, he is pitching batting practice. Have you seen this? Yes, I have. And it, I, when I think of Ichiro, I, I get almost emotional I in do. the sense that I don't know that anyone loves baseball as much as him. I know. I, he, I know. he literally, we've talked about it. I, I do believe it's kind of almost a, a, a problem to a certain degree. Yeah. I feel sorry for his wife and kids. I mean, because... He literally, I worry about the guy, to be honest yeah. with you. He has to have some kind of connection to baseball. And and watching him, if you watch that video of him throwing practice, it was almost like he was impatient. Like in between pitches, he's like, come on. Quit come on, let's go. Well, right. Um, incredible guy. 
Um, you and I have talked before. It's entirely possible if, if things would have happened the right way, he would have had the most hits of any baseball player. Yeah. Had he began his career in the United States, absolutely he would have surpassed Pete Rose. And there's no, you know, so I, I have mad respect for that guy. Me too. Me too. All right. So now there's going to be, did you see this? There's going to be a, a, a revival of yeah. uh, Rod Serling. And you know that Rod Serling was the guy who created all the Twilight Zones, but he used to work. Uh, when he was a 22, 21, 22, 23-year-old guy at w, WLWT or WLW Radio in Cincinnati, Ohio. And he wrote a radio play, okay? And uh, this is way back in the 50s. And they're going to revive this on WVXU, which is a local public radio station, or I think it's the local radio station out of Xavier University. Yep. And uh, With, with the blessing of Rod Serling's daughter. Yes, right. Rod Serling's daughter approved that uh, WVXU do this. And there's a guy who works at WVXU. I'm bringing up the thing now. So yeah. give me a second to sort of bring up the names. But uh, basically it's a radio play about uh, Russian spies right. who are in New York and they say good things about the New York Yankees and they get into trouble with their, with their communist, <laughs> their communist uh, bosses. Right. And so they have to flee New York, these Russian spies, Mushnik and somebody else. Yeah. And they end up in Cincinnati. O'Toole was his nickname. O'Toole was his nickname. Yeah. But uh, they only have enough money to get as far as Cincinnati. And one of them tries out for the Cincinnati Reds. And uh, so and then. And he hits the ball farther than, than Ted Klasinski. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so uh, what's the title of it? It's called O'Toole from Moscow. And it's a yeah. confusion. It's described as a confusion between Russians and the Reds where a Soviet Union embassy staffer ends up playing outfield for the Reds. I am and, so glad that our movie topic is Dr. Strangelove this week, because it's a yeah. perfect connection to that because of the whole Red Scare in the 50s. That it is it a Cold of, War. It is a, yeah, it is. It's a Cold War story, a cautionary tale, I might add. The character, by the way, in the radio play um, was played by Chuck Connors, who yes. was, I believe, a six-foot-six Guy that actually played minor league baseball. No, he played. He played for the Cubs. He played at Wrigley Field, but he was, but not much. He didn't play no, more right. than 100 games. Right. A rifleman. We're talking about a the rifleman. Yeah. yeah. Great story. Great story, and I'm definitely going to be listening to this when they do that. Yeah, it's March 24th. I think I am too. You can stream it online. It's 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 very interesting. I'm a huge Rod Serling fan, and because he's such a great writer, if you look at if you just take his um, teleplays that he wrote for the Twilight Zone, um, and um, I can't think of what uh, Night Gallery was the show yeah. he did after that, and, and just take it as 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 a, a literary work, it's tremendous. He he had a multitude of unbelievable ideas. Um, it's being redone today. There's a new Twilight Zone that there pays, is. Om pays homage to Serling. Um, Black by, Mirror, if you've by ever Jordan Peele. Um, is, is running the deal. And the point is that Serling was a major literary force of the 20th century who doesn't get the respect that he deserves because he wrote for television. And it's, it's not just his, his writing is incredible. No, he's uh, he really, is, he really is amazing. All right. So let's talk about uh, Chris Davis, the <laughs> oh, Orioles, Chris Davis, the, who, the sad sack of baseball. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Who makes 20, $25 million a year. It's outrageous. And he, he put up, for a full-time player, put up one of the worst offensive seasons in the history. You could argue that no, it was It the is the worst, worst Leo. It, it is, is the worst. He was 0 for 62 at one point 
a major league record. No hitter ever did that and stayed in the major leagues. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, and he said that he considered walking away from his contract towards the end of last season. Yeah. Uh, and I wish he would have, but, uh, <laughs> but I guess hanging around to correct, co- collect $25 million. Probably, exactly. You know, uh, Talk about changed. disingenuous. He yeah. considered it, and then he looked at his contract. Right, Chris. Uh, the, one, the only thing I will say to him is, I, to a certain degree, he, I, he's he's a, a sympathetic figure, and I feel bad for him because he's basically manned up, but you're yeah. still collecting the check. You haven't manned up enough to say, you know what, like back in the day, there was literally players that would return their salary increases yeah, because if they felt like they had bad seasons. That was, that, that was commonplace, you know. And part of the reason why I talk about this is because we have a guy on our team I love I love Hayward. Don't get me wrong, but that contract was ridiculous, and and it still is an albatross contract to to the Cubs today. So it's just that money talks, man. You ain't ever leaving this contract. What are you talking about? You'll continue to be below average until they can cut you, and that's yeah, what will happen. They can cut you or move you or whatever, and uh, you know eat your salary or whatever. Just right. move on from you. But the thing about Hayward is. You know, there's always the potential that he could have a big year and he does play excellent defense and he is a great leader. He so, showed flashes of mediocrity last year. He was he was good last year for us for a stretch until they moved him to the leadoff position and he kind of went off the cliff. How would you ever put him in the leadoff position? He's a nine. Yeah, but they were stuck. They they couldn't do anything. They they had nobody to put there. Now now we're going to talk about Brian hitting there, but uh but I also want to mention that uh, a catcher in the Blue Jays organization. Oh, yeah, this story. Yeah, Reese McGuire. He was arrested for exposing exposure of genital organs. As he was caught. <laughs> Is that what they call that now? That's what they call it. That was the official charge, exposing yeah. genital organs after he was caught masturbating in the parking lot of a strip mall in Clearwater, Florida. And uh, he, he did this, Tom. It, it was crowded, and he did yeah. this at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Well, when he was caught, they actually asked him what he was doing. He said he was he was working on his signs, um, you know. <laughs> but, but, but all seriousness aside, I I follow a lot of true life crime. And this is how serial killers get started. I mean, dude, this is so completely inappropriate. It's beyond the pale. It's, it's, yeah, that it's, you're it's you're jacking awful. off in your car in a, in a, in a strip mall. What, what what is going on there? I know, I know, I know. What, what were you watching? The women coming out of curves? The, the, this is this is <laughs> weird. This is weird. It, it's it is. Reese, I'm sorry. You know, the, the, uh, you had a nice career. You know, all of exactly 120 games. That's exactly. it. You'll never play in the majors again. Right. There's one thing that the majors do not want to have. It's a pervert. You know, well, I, I can I, tell you, if he ever becomes the bullpen catcher, I wouldn't want him being in the golf cart riding up to the mound. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, right. those may be two of your best lines. All, All right. right. I do want to mention that there is uh, one White Sox game that you and I, I think, really need to go to, and that's the August 28th series against the uh, Houston Astros. That's one we the need. The Asterix, you mean? You mean the Asterix? The Asterix. I'm sorry, the Asterix. That's one I think I would love to get tickets for. It's late in the year. The Astros don't come here until the end of August. I'm already going to be back at work. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, well, you're right. That is a great series. And and the you know me, I'm not a big Sox fan, but I'm very worried that they're going to have an explosively successful season. The White I Sox? Think, oh, yeah. Oh yeah, I think they could. I think they could win this. If, we'll talk about the baseball prospectus in a minute, but they they predict the White Sox um, to to if, either to win that division or they'll be in the playoffs. Well, it's all. I think it's all about what Luis Robert Robert, Robert does when he gets up here. If Luis yeah. Robert is good, they're going to be good. When he struggles, they're going to struggle. That's. What I I'm just saying. think they've got really good pitchers and they've got explosive hitters. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I hope so. I. I, that's the beauty of living here, you know, that yeah. we have two teams to follow, to take an interest in. And yeah. uh, I, I wouldn't consider myself a White Sox fan, but, you know, I, I, I will pay attention if they're good. We, we have to uh, we have to cover baseball, and, and I think they're going to be a big story this year. Exactly, they will. All right, so let's move on to the Chicago Cubs. And uh, Javi Baez uh, yeah. recently made some comments about preparation. Uh, and he talked about, you know, he's, he's being asked why the Cubs perhaps struggled, didn't win as often as they could have, what he could have done differently. And he said that, nah, I wasn't preparing like I should. He was getting loose inside in the clubhouse, taking batting practice inside. He wasn't on the field stretching with his teammates. He wasn't taking batting practice outside. He thinks that that may have not been the best thing to do. You know, and I think that reflects badly on Joe Mann. Do you agree? I completely agree. The, the more the story comes out, the more it looks as though you could criticize Epstein that he let let him uh, manage last year. You, you could have made a case that they could have gotten rid of him a couple of years ago because Madden is a veterans coach. And, and that's why he did so well in 2016. I'm not going to belabor the fact that he's he, he's not particularly good with pitching staffs, but the but what's coming out um, through multiple sources, and, and also look at what they're saying to Rossi. That if you want to know what the issue is with Madden, look what Epstein is saying to Rossi, because what he's saying to Rossi is really what he was trying to say to Madden over the last couple seasons. And Madden just did like a lot of veterans in his defense. I'm, I'm acknowledging what you're saying, but I'm going to proceed with my own agenda. I'm not really going to do what you want me to do. And that resulted in the separation between the two. I thought Madden made a big mistake in coming out and talking about it. And that's le- that almost taking out a life of its own. That's leading, you know, players like Baez to, to state their opinion. And if you read what, what Baez was talking about, he was talking about pregame stuff. Like every, right. he goes, basically, these guys just showed up and the game started. And he's like right. that. If you if you know anything about Ryan Sandberg, like he would show up at the park eight hours before a game started. And maybe that's extreme. But Madden's was also extreme. His it was hands, in, in the other direction yeah and, and and also his routine works very well with veterans it's gonna be interesting to see how he how he does with the angels this year because the angels have a blend of veterans and young players too it's almost a very similar team except their pitching staff historically has not been as good as the cubs so you know for Baez to say that it just i think when history is written 10 15 years from now it's going to be kind of a of a mixed bag on Joe Madden, even though you and I know he brought us a world title and he'll never buy a drink in this town again. Yeah, you're right. And 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 it does leave him open to criticism. And Madden is my favorite Cubs manager, certainly, yep. and one of my favorite managers of all time. And uh, you know uh, who has I a jersey who has a manager's jersey like you? Think about it. Yeah. Well he's <laughs> he's a, he was a little laissez faire. 
You know, let them do what they want. Correct. And he, what he didn't have, what he lacked in 2017, 2018, and 2019 was that veteran presence of David Ross, who was the guy in the clubhouse, this third string catcher, but this veteran who could get on the players, who could get on the young players, you know what I mean? Which is what you need. Kind of like the way Crash Davis does in Bull Durham. Some yes, of you can keep exactly. on these guys. And, and I think that, you know, Epstein and Madden understood the value of a player like that. And uh, I don't know why. I think he tried maybe to acquire somebody like that in Daniel Descalso, but he yeah. didn't play well enough or have enough clubhouse credibility to really replace him in that role. So well, Descalso was a, was a terrible acquisition. And that's another guy we're still paying too much money to. That's right. That's right. You'll have him this year. I hope he can contribute something. I mean, we have a lot of really old guys. I mean, you know, there are certain days where the Chicago Cubs can play an old-timers game every day. You know, <laughs> they start John Lester and Jason Kipnis and, you know, so, so on and so, so forth. So what's happening with Chris Bryant? Well, he's going to hit leadoff. He's gonna what? Hit leadoff. Yeah. He's gonna That's hit leadoff. insane. <laughs> what do you think? Of, I think it's a great idea. I think uh, – I don't know why – the Cubs didn't explore this before. I think he has a high enough on base percentage to be your ideal leadoff hitter. And he has enough speed and, and, and base running acumen that he would make an excellent leadoff hitter. I think uh, they should have done this earlier. And I like it. I endorse it. I, I uh, disagree. Um, I think that you can, you can make a case that out of necessity that he's beat the leadoff hitter. But again, what I learned from Sparky Anderson is Chris Bryant is a three-hole hitter. He's one of the best hitters on the team. That's not your leadoff hitter. Your leadoff hitter is typically a speed merchant. However, in Bryant's defense, he's a very good base runner. Um, yeah. And But I do think it, looking at what Rossi's uh, projected lineup is to be, which is, well, Baez, and, and they're actually talking about making Rizzo a two-hole hitter, which yeah. I don't get that. But Contreras and Schwarber are going to yeah. be the muscle in the four- and five-hole. That's not horrible. No, um, no but, that's not but a bad lineup at all. But in a real world, if I had a uh, Ricky Henderson type or a UL Washington or somebody else that you would almost view as a typical leadoff hitter, which is basically a speed merchant, somebody that walks and steals second base, and whoa, you got Bryant coming up after the two-hole hitters, usually your second baseman. So we'll see. It can't be any worse than what the Cubs did last year. I thought Madden was insane batting Schwarber lead off. I said that a million times. I'll continue to say that. You don't take a big stodgy Gates Brown kind of guy and make him your leadoff hitter. That's just I insane. Know, I know. So, but, but yeah, I, but that's, that's that one we've done to death. I yeah. Even, yeah. So, but, uh, but now the Cubs uh, acquired uh, Jason Kipnis. Yeah. And this is a guy who's a, 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 a he's a former resident. He, well, he grew up in Northbrook, Illinois, which is right up the street from me. I live in Glenview. Didn't he was actually a neighbor. This, didn't we talk about this last week? Yeah. <laughs> we oh, covered up on this. I just thought it was interesting when I looked at the box score of the 12-2 win last night that Kipnis had at bats and Horner did it. And so yeah. if you know any, if you've been reading the Cubs, the, the first three games of this um, uh, preseason, they're trying to figure out who their fifth starter is going to be. And so they're, right. gearing, they're gearing those games towards that. But I just thought it was interesting that – I'm just a little bit worried about what's happening to Nico Horner, I guess is my point. I don't know. I, I like Nico Horner. I think he's going to contribute to the Cubs. I, I, I don't blame them for thinking that he may not be ready. Okay. Be. I, I don't blame them for thinking that he shouldn't get some more seasoning in AAA. 
you know, that he may have, you know, they brought him up last year out of just absolute necessity because all their middle infielders were injured. They had to do something. So yeah. he got a chance to play and he got some hits, but have you seen him? Have you actually looked at this guy? He is a child. He is a child still, you know, yeah. um, he, he had an explosive of- couple first weeks in the majors. I, I don't know. I, well, he has a bat that he makes contact. He doesn't walk a lot, but he does make contact. And you need guys who can do that. But but I also think that he's a little raw still. And yeah. some seasoning wouldn't be a bad thing. And I think that, that there's enough upside with Kipnis that we can we can afford to let him wait in the minors for another year or half a year or whatever. You yeah, know? yeah. But now you say that uh, who's going to – but this brings us to another question. You know, we're talking about middle infielders. If Horner's going to be in the minors – Who's going to be Javi Baez's backup? Who's the backup shortstop? Because you're going to need one. You know, yeah, you know, play. You're right. And also, what we don't talk about now is Baez could be entering that point in his career because he throws such caution to the wind, particularly when he's running on the base pass, that he could be getting little rinky-dink injuries. And so, you know, I know on the depth charts, it's I believe it's Hernan Perez, Um because really, if you think about it, we don't have the wife beater anymore. Who would, no, that's gone. And so uh, that's a very good point because that's a huge drop off for the Cubs if, in fact, um, Baez was to get injured. Yeah, huge. yeah, yeah. That is a huge drop off. So I don't know, but uh, it, 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 he, Perez, I think, what did he play with the Brewers last year? He's yeah, all right. I, I mean, think he can so. Be, he field he can field his position. I mean, anything we would get out of the bat would be Correct. a plus. We just need somebody to give Baez a few days off every now and then. Exactly. So, so now, baseball prospectus right. likes the Cubs this year. They're bullish. Um, well, if you remember last year, they did. They almost called the Cubs' win total on the head. I think the Cubs ended up with 83. Prospectus said 82. And when I read it last year, I was like. Are you in, what are you get? Where are you getting yeah, these numbers from? Getting, and it turns out that they were right. I thought the interesting thing was two things was, uh, you know, basically they have the Cubs being a couple games better than, but that's good enough to, to be a 50% chance to make the playoffs. But the team they like in the central is the red legs, uh, the Cincinnati red legs with 86 wins. That's something that's, that's a seven game, uh, you know, change for them. And I, and like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, I said the same thing. If they get even a modicum of pitching there, they're going to be dangerous because of that. The, their, their offense has improved dramatically. Well, I'm fired up because uh, that, that would be really fun to see the Reds be good. Certainly you and I, we know all the things that they've done, all the players that they've acquired and recently. And I, I hope they're better. I'm, I hope they're better because I'm from Cincinnati and I still know a lot of people who are Reds fans, and I want them to be happy. I yeah. want them to have a product to follow. I want them to be able to go to games. I want to see the fans sitting there in the seats. I'm going to try to go to the March 28th game uh, against the St. Louis Cardinals. This is the second game of the season. I'm going to try very hard to take my daughter to that one. We'll drive down, stay with my parents, go to the game. It'll be great. So, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. I've said this a million times, and I'll continue to say it. It's good for baseball when the Reds are playing well. It it, is. It's good. It's good for baseball when the Pirates play well. It's good for baseball when the Tigers play well. Whenever these markets do well, it's good for baseball. And the reason why I think that is, I'm not convinced that 40 or 50 years from now that these these there there will be teams in these towns. Yeah. Um, I I just think there's going to be a shift, and you're going to see 
it's just it's part of change. And I just think the Reds' history is so rich and so deserved. And I love the fact that their fans basically say, you better play well or we're not showing up. I love yeah, that. I love it, too. I love it, too. And I hope they're good. I, I, I can't call myself a Reds fan anymore. The Reds no. that I was a fan of, they're all retired. The team was broken up. Right. The stadium was torn down. I mean, it's not, it's not my team anymore. No, but I uh, but I still have connections to the city, and uh, you know. But once Marty Brennerman retired, that was the last connection. Well, this is head. not your Sparky Anderson Cincinnati Reds, that's for no, sure. No, it sure isn't. <laughs> it sure isn't. So, uh, all right. So what's next? Uh, the, so the oh. Cu- the Cubs have a big issue on their hands, yes. which is who's going to be their fifth starter, and really the candidates are. Um, in in order of from worst to best is Adbert Elzelay, okay, Alec Mills, and then Tyler Chatwood. Chatwood has the inside track, um, be, but the issue with Chatwood, as we've discussed ad nauseum, is which Tyler Chatwood are we getting? Are we getting the guy who's in the top two in both fastball average and off-speed average in the majors? Yeah. Or the guy that walks every hitter that comes up to the plate. You just don't know what you're getting with Tyler. But if Tyler can have a season similar to what he had last year, he will be the fifth starter. Um, I think <laughs> Alec Mills, it, the jury is still out on him because he really he pitched brilliantly in one game last year. That's just that's just one game. I mean, you got as you know the season's long, and so it'll be, I, hopefully they give him a fair chance to compete. Adbert Elzelay, I'm I'm less um, optimistic about only because he's got these rinky-dink injuries, and whenever you see that with pitchers, particularly in the minor leagues, it does not bode well in the major leagues where you play twice as many games. So well, Elzelay, I thought you know when he pitched last year with the Cubs, kind of made his debut, he looked overwhelmed. You know, he looked yeah. like this is a kid who can't handle it at this level, at least not right now. I'm not saying that he can't learn and mature and grow. But he's not going to be – I don't think he's going to fill in into that spot. Something radical would have to happen for him to earn that spot. Mills pitched well. And you know who he reminded me of was uh, Kyle Hendricks because yes. he doesn't have a really Correct. hot fastball. He's, he's 85. 90. You know, it's curveball. It's location. Yep. So he's like Kyle Hendricks light. Correct. So he could be – you know, he could contribute. But you're right. I think that you're paying Chad with the most money. What does he make? Like 13? He makes – Maybe too much. Well, too much. I, actually, actually, for what he if he would have been a contributor, he, we would have had a value with him. But he's not. It's it's kind of like Contreras, uh, not Contreras. It's like uh, Quintana. Quintana is a great value for the Cubs. That's why some people are thinking that he may be trade bait no because, yeah, of, yeah, yeah. because <laughs> of that contract, depending on how the Cubs play this year. I think Quintana is still going to tr- contribute. I just think if he has the year I think he could have, he's due for a, a big pay increase. Whereas you know, it, it Chatwood. It, the good news is, is we don't have control over him very much longer. If he, if right. he, if he, if he, uh, you know, tanks, um, you know, this is the end of, of of Chatwood for the Cubs. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I would have to say, of those three, Chatwood has the inside track to get the to get the five hole position. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think you're right. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens. And I think this is part of why baseball prospectus is high on the Cubs, because the Cubs do have, beginning with Darvish and ending with possibly Chatwood, the best rotation in that division, certainly. You know, I think the Reds are up there, too. 
but I think that they could be as good, if not even better, than the Reds. You know, so. I, I agree. So you know, I told you recently that I have like four thousand channels on my TV yeah. provider. It's it's unbelievable the amount of channels that I have. Every baseball channel. So last night I was trying to find the Marquee Network. Did you? And find so it? no, I did not. And oh. and it it pissed me off because look, and maybe it's just the the provider that I have, which is a, is a streaming um, service, needs to add it. The Cubs actually announced um, 40 different providers where you can find it on DirecTV. It's basically going to be with Hulu. And it right. just kind of supports something that you and I talked about last year, is that for us old WGN fans, this is just bullshit what's happening here. We, we can't turn on a TV to a regular channel and find a Cubs game. And it's just... I think as the season wears on, it's going to become more and more annoying, particularly if they if they have a good season. I think in years when the Cubs are down, this this won't mean a hill of beans. But when let's just say they compete for the World Series again, it's really going to be disheartening to try to find them uh, on the on the on the marquee network. Well, you Which, know what's going to happen, Tom? We're going to listen to the radio. That's yeah. what we're going to do. I'm going to listen to the radio, and I'm going to make sure I have a good strong am radio because i'm not gonna pay i'm sorry i'm not gonna yeah. pay 25 a month in addition right. to what i'm paying now for hulu live which is what they're gonna ask us to do that's right. what ricketts is saying that we need to do yeah. no no if you can't find a way to cut a deal with the largest cable provider in the area okay then you're intent on killing the golden goose you're taking that golden goose that's shitting out all that money for years okay in broadcast revenue, and you're strangling it to death, okay? Yeah. Because because people in this town, okay, expect to be able to see these games, and it's, it's just, easy to see them, not it, hard. It, it's it's mind-boggling, and again, um, it'll be interesting to see well, if it's going to be in the part of the MLB package, which I I'll have, and if that's the case, then there's no issues for me. But yeah. I think for the regular Joe out there. And also, if I'm a bar in Chicago, you're telling me I got to get yet another service so that yeah. my customers can see the. It's just, it's no. it's just crazy. And you know, Ricketts, you know, Jesus, my God, everything's a money grab. They're cutting its head off, Tom. They're yeah. strangling it. Yep. It's awful. Well, are they cutting their head off or are they strangling? But, yeah. all right, so, so, so this with is that, with that. Uh, it's time to talk about Doctor Strange, love. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, this is our classic movie that we've selected this week. It's our second Stanley Kubrick movie in two weeks, and right. uh, I think it's an excellent choice yeah. because, uh, you know, what's the alternate title, how, title, How I Learned to Love the Bomb? Yeah, that's correct. That's how correct. I, yeah. the lo the, that's the actual title, and it's the longest, um, uh, how, I, how I Stopped, how, how, how I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. And Love the Bomb, yeah. And yeah it's the longest cool. title of any movie ever nominated for Best Picture. And it is a wonderful movie, and it's a satire, and it's Kubrick. Is it really is his only comedy? Would you say? I mean, it's a satire, it's a comedy. It's about well, besides very, very... Bar besides Barry Lyndon. Hey, I kid, I kid, I kid. Uh... Well, it, it is his only comedy, you know, and and it's not even really a comedy. It's a satire. No, it's a black comedy, and maybe it's the black greatest comedy. black comedy ever made, if you think about it. Because here's the interesting thing: when the script was originally um, put out there by the writer whose name escapes me at this particular time, but uh, uh, it, it was a, a five-year-old novel, I believe, at the at, at the time it came out. And by the way, the writer got pissed off because Kubrick started thinking that, you know what, this is going to be a comedy, and he hired the great 
scriptwriter Terry Southern to kind of do his magic. Southern was a wrote many many things, but he also was a writer on Saturday Night Live for for many years. Um, the actual author of the um, of the novel did not like the idea that they took this book and and uh, and, ter- and turned it into a, a comedy. It was by Peter George. But it was a book called Red Alert, which yeah. was a serious book about accidental accidental nuclear war. Um, but, but Kubrick, Kubrick realized the absurdity of it and he turned it into a comedy. Right, and that's why he brought Southern in to turn it into a satire. And it's it's there's so many things to talk about in this film. But the the amazing thing is that the film actually led to changes in our military policy to ensure that the events depicted in Doctor Strangelove could never actually happen in real life, wow. which that is a testament unto itself. Talk uh, about it. Talk about the influence of a film and a director. Correct. That's correct. Correct. And this was Kubrick's last black and white film. Um, and uh, the reason why I suggested it for this week is because I turned on the channel on Tuesday night, and there it was on Turner. And it's my 14th. You know, I've got almost a thousand films that I've categorized from one to a thousand, and it's 14th on my list. Um, I I love this picture, and I will stop what I'm doing every time it comes on TV and watch um, it because it's just there's so many things. But really, to me, what it it shows and shines a spotlight on is how brilliant Peter Sellers was. I was about to say, that's really where it begins in this movie. Because Sellers, the comedic talent, plays three parts in the movie. He plays Mandrake, you know, Officer Mandrake, who's uh, there with the crazy general who ordered the attack, who went crazy and ordered the attack on Russia. He plays uh, Dr. Strangelove himself, right? Dr. Strangelove, mind fear. Mind you, the German scientist whose right. hand has a will of its own. Correct. And then he plays the president of the United States who has to, yeah. call, to yeah. call the Russian premier and explain to him, hey, one of our generals went nut. Went yeah, nut. exactly. And, uh, and, and, You're and, talking and, about President Birkin Muffley. Yeah, exactly. Well, how do you, you think know, I, Dimitri, how do you think I feel about it? <laughs> well, I love the way he, he just explains it. You know, well, he went a little funny. You know, a little funny in the head, you know, and, and he's, those he's talking about roles, the great Sterling Hayden. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those three roles, you know, Sellers is just brilliant. And uh, I think it's just great the way Kubrick makes use of it. He was actually going to play a fourth role. Correct. He was going to play uh, Lieutenant or, or Major King Kong. Right. He was the guy played by Slim Pickens who rides the yeah. nuclear bomb out of the Yee-haw! aircraft. Yeehaw! Yeah. That's hilarious. But the only reason why Sellers didn't get that part is because he broke his leg uh, on the bomb. He fell off the bomb and broke huh. his leg. But... I heard that he was less confident about the accent. That's what I heard. That's what I read in the Roger Ebert review. Sellers was brilliant, but he was extremely insecure about all of his performance. Ter- Terry Southern said throughout the film, he was amazed at, at Sellers' improv- improvisational skills that were stuff that he never even wrote on the page. Sellers just took it to another level. But then afterwards, you know, he'd sulk in the bathroom for an hour about how bad he was. He was just a wow. very, like a lot of actors, extremely insecure. But the greatest line was Kubrick, who said, you know, um, Sellers was paid a million dollars. 55% of the budget went to wow. went to Sellers. And, and Kubrick said, hey, I got three for the price of six. <laughs> And that's the way Kubrick was, man. Yeah. He was a petty pitcher. He was yeah. watching every dollar. 
Because he, he raised his own money. He used a lot yeah. of his own money to make his movies because he wanted all the control. You know yeah. what I mean? And he he ran he ran his production company like with, with an iron fist. You know, there's the there's the big there's the story you hear about Malcolm McDowell who had to do some voiceover work for uh, what was it? Uh, you know, yeah. And so he has to come back in after the shooting is over yeah. yep, and yep. do this recordings and. Uh, so when they're not doing recordings, he's hanging around with Kubrick and they're playing ping pong. Right. And uh, a few months later, uh, McDowell's agent contacts him and says, hey, man, you haven't been paid. Can You, you got to call Stanley right. and tell right. him, hey, you got you to gotta pay him. You got to pay me. So he calls great. Stanley and Stanley sends him over a check and it's for half of the right. hours that he spent there. And he says right. half of it's for the movie, half of it was for ping pong. Right. You know, so, I'm not paying right. you for the ping pong. It's hilarious because if it, you know, Kubrick was a master chess player. Yeah. And so oftentimes on sets, he would play, you know, I, I think him and George C. Scott, who I want to talk about for a second here, would, would play chess. And so if if you played chess with Kubrick, if you'd have played, if, if Malcolm would have played chess with him, he wouldn't have charged him because he would have yeah. killed, wiped the floor. It turns out that Malcolm actually gave uh, Kubrick a tough time in, in ping pong. That's why he made him pay for it. That's but so That's George C. Scott, who I love, one of my favorite actors, was really annoyed with Stanley Kubrick, who who was pushing him to overact, uh, what you know, playing the role of uh, General Turg McTurgenson or whatever his name was, and he vowed to never work with Kubrick again. Ultimately, George C. Scott saw this film when he got old and said it was brilliant what Kubrick yeah. did, and it was yeah. his favorite it was his favorite movie performance, even more so than his, his Oscar. But at the time, he hated Kubrick because he's like, I'm a I'm a great actor, and you're pushing me. You know, he wanted he wanted that general to be kind of a cartoon so much so that Scott was get you know was in character and he falls in the war room and remember yeah. there's no fighting in the war room you know that's, that's <laughs> he fell, which was not in the script he actually fell down and Kubrick said I love that for keeping that in the film and he so kept, he stayed in character he, he just stayed in character and he just was got so taken away that he he, he fell off his feet. Um, like I said, Scott, Scott didn't understand what was going on until he saw the film years later and said, oh, my God, this this is brilliant. You know. Yeah. Well, I love uh, Jack Nicholson. There's a documentary about Kubrick and the interview Jack Nicholson. And Jack just says, listen, Stanley, uh, Stanley is the man and right. everybody knows it. And that's it. You know, and, 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 you know, his crew would go to the wall for him, even oh, though. Yeah. Kubrick was demanding he would take take after take. That's another thing that pissed Sellers off. Sellers felt, and Kubrick actually uh, acknowledged that this was true, that his first take was the best take. And Kubrick would do 30 or 40 takes, and, and Sellers would go nuts, and then Kubrick would use the first take, you know, invariably because Sellers was so brilliant. Um, and so another thing, when Sellers plays the maniacal Dr. Strangelove, you see him go... I, I, Go back and look at, at the clips of him, and you see the characters around him are in shadow in the dark. And the reason for that is they were breaking up. They could not keep a straight face. Kubrick couldn't keep a straight face. The Russian, the guy that played the Russian guy, watching yeah. the film, you'll see one point where he's biting his lip because, because Sellers Seller. was a genius. Uh, absolute genius. We, in fact, we have never seen anyone like him since him, if you think about it. That, well, you and, can say that Robin, a, Robin Williams, I think, compares to Sellers. Yes, yes, him. yes, but, yes. But, but Sellers could just become whoever he was playing. He right. was a comedian. If Sellers was a hardback, 
uh, Robin Williams was the paperback. I mean, yes, I agree Williams was like him, but there was no one like Sellers. They both were great with dialects, by the way. Sell, yeah. sell, and by the way, Sellers playing Mandrake, which was the chief of staff of the of the crazy general that ordered everything in this movie, played by Sterling Hayden, is based on uh, Sellers' good friend, uh, Terry Thomas. Huh. Um, he actually imitates him. If you watch it again, you'll be like, oh, they, they, now I see where he got that from. But... Bit of a, a gammy leg, you know. You know, come on, yeah. Mandrake, help me with the machine gun, you know, belt. So, so Kubrick, Kubrick went to the U.S. government and said, "I know the B-52 is a cutting edge uh, plane. Can we get some um, some blueprints of it so that we can design it for the film?" The government said, "Absolutely not. You cannot see it." So, what it was it pictured in a magazine in Britain, and just based on that one picture, Kubrick had it rebuilt. Uh, yeah. And 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 the government, the U.S. government said impressive. Well, they, wow. they actually, they, they, it's just so many little things um, going on. They told Slim Pickens that this was a drama, and so the the character he plays, he played it like it was a drama, not not like it was a comedy. And that all of these these different flavors add up to just one of one of Hollywood's most unforgettable films. I'm glad we talked about this, Tom. I'll tell you, I, I wasn't, when you wanted to do this, I kind of resisted initially because it would have been two movies in two weeks by yeah. Stanley Kubrick, and I, yeah. I resisted. But I'm glad we talked about it. And yeah, I had we'll, a chance we'll to see it again this week. And, you know. So. We'll, do it, we'll do something completely different for next week. But uh, that's all the time we have for today, Leo. As you know, we are two peas in a podcast, and you can find us where... Uh, most podcasts uh, play on the interwebs. Where so, you get your podcast, you can find us two peas in a podcast, or peanuts and popcorn is the name of the show. Okay. Week, man. All right. Over now. I'll bang the drum slowly and play the fight lowly. Play the dead march as they carry me along. Put bunches of roses all over my coffin. Roses to deaden the clouds as they fall. 